Right, good evening and welcome to Very, Very Serious Horror. I am Lee. I am Chris. And I am Poot Lovato. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're giggling again. Sorry, sorry. We'll start giggling down the back. And I'm going to have to drop it so that we can become the two cockneys that all three of us are. <laughs> and I'm Adam. <laughs> um... Just a quick explanation for those who have no idea what's going on, which is everyone apart from the three of us in this room. Um, <laughs> uh, somebody pointed out we had um, our first bit of we had our first one star review uh, on iTunes. But to be fair, that's after like three years. Yeah, I'm amazed yeah. we haven't had at least a few more. This is true, um, but yeah, we were we were most most like, personally, I was most annoyed, and then most bemused by what exactly he was upset by. By the lack of coherence. Um, yeah, so first of all, it was the worst podcast he'd ever listened to. Nice. Uh, he then followed it by saying, it's a pair of cockneys who just laughed down the microphone, which there are neither two of us, nor are we cockneys. Um, <laughs> and then I couldn't work out what I was offended about. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's yeah, at that so... point that you, I did, I did go and check there wasn't another Welcome to Horror. Mm. Just in case we'd got the bad press of ah, two cockneys giving down a microphone. Yes, so it's you know, right, we're going to talk about Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as internet abuse goes, we have not had our fair share. I would say. No, no, no thank you, Chris. Don't. We've not had our fair share. No, I think we've now had our fair share. Yeah, we're not don't, encouraging this. Yeah, don't encourage a shit stop. <laughs> We're not ones to beg, but if anyone out there hasn't reviewed us and would like to give us a, a five-star review, please do so. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. We like constructive criticism, but it's just when the criticism is just, well, they just like chatted for about 40 minutes and laughed a bit, which, you know, it, it's, it, it's just an entertaining hobby, really. We're not trying to be deadly serious. This is not an academic uh, view of horror. I am. Have you, have you not been taking me seriously? Oh, <laughs> I'm very disappointed. The, wor the, worst, the worst part about it is, is that I did base my dissertation on our episode on Leprechaun. <laughs> and now I've realised why I didn't get fuck all. <laughs> Shit, I thought we were like pucker A1 academia. I thought we were a listed text. <laughs> well, we, um, we did state that on our, uh, on our bio, so... <laughs> uh, yes, so uh, but, yeah, so just pointing a bit of fun at that, really, because uh, it sort of made us laugh. Um, and of course, he will never hear that. No, so well, you know, it's his loss. Well, I say his; it could be a her. I mean, that's true. It's their loss. Yeah, let's let's not be let's 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 be equal with our abuse. You know, what who, whomsoever this person is, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really, I wanted. Actually, funnily enough, the thing was, is I wanted to watch this really. There was this really great documentary about werewolves that I was going to watch, but it was all like just like funny and like Rick Mail was in it and someone nicks some balloons and stuff like that. Fuck, <laughs> you know, what's the world coming to? This is quite a good segue into the film we watched tonight, really, isn't it? That's very true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Imagine trying to talk seriously. Uh, about a film like this it's 
Oh, yeah. Whoever knows. Anyway. I, I, to be honest, most of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get too serious and too on topic, um, we've got to get <laughs> our, our usual bollocks out of the way. Um, so, Chris, have you had the opportunity to see anything in the horror genre? Not in the horror genre per se, but I'm going to make a tenuous link, hopefully. So we've still been working through the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh yes. And what have you got to? Well, I have to I have to make a very powerful statement here that anybody anybody out there that may not have watched Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> one or two, and anybody you know, like I highly recommend that you get right on that. <laughs> And that is duly noted. Now, that is constructive criticism. Did <laughs> you like how subtle it was? Uh, yeah, it was very subtle, Chris, yeah. Um, but to be fair, I had totally forgotten how good they were. So it did stand out. So I was watching it, I was thinking, these are just great. It's just all the, all the right sort of elements in there. Um, it's fun. It turns out it does have, you know, a pretty good storyline. That, that threads throughout the two and culminates, I'd say, at the end of two with a, a nice twist as far as one of these films could twist. So, uh, yeah, it's good. And following on from that, a complete surprise, Ant-Man, I did not expect it to be as good as it was. And that turned out to be a lot of fun. And my tenuous link is that I didn't realise it was directed by Edgar Wright, who I also now know directed Shaun of the Dead. Absolutely. And mm. possibly some others that I can't think of. Uh, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver, the Cornetto trilogy, um, Scott Pilgrim. That's him. Yep. Mm, oh, okay. Yeah. Now that's a good film as well. Baby Driver. We so, so we've got people on here who know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? Um, yeah. See, I love those Guardians films, and I think the mm. thing is when they sort of come out, and Marvel was doing quite well. The impression that I got from people was that they were basic. They were written by a committee, so it was like you know, you sort of you got a lot of people around the table, and I was like, that's not the way to write a coherent, well-rounded mm. movie. And they totally proved me wrong and did a fantastic <laughs> job of it. Which, again, which is what all the all well, not all the majority of the Marvel films have done mm. so far. To be fair. Yeah. I think I think it's they're heading much more towards the model because American TV is a writer's room a lot more often, mm. and yeah, I think so. But then I think something like Marvel kind of you, you aren't just dealing with a single movie. It is you, you at least need someone there going. Well, you can't put that in because that fucks up three movies yeah. time. Yeah, um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, but I've I'm believe me, I'm sold, gentlemen. I do need to see it. Um, I was thinking that, you know, obviously at some point on Moss Eisley Happy Hour, we run out of Star Wars mm. to do. But, I mean, I was thinking maybe we'd do something like Spaceballs and things like Ooh. that. And then I thought, Guardians of the Galaxy, you could kind of argue. I, I, I did get a bit of a Star Wars feel when I was watching it at the cinema. Mm. Like, yeah, of everything I've seen, this is, you know, it's it's good fun sci-fi. Yeah. With a load of aliens. I think, yeah. So, but I mean, whatever happens, I'm going to watch them. I've just mm. never had the opportunity. Every mm. time I took the DVD around to people's houses, they were just shits about it. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Fair enough. Um, Adam, have you watched anything horror related? Um, I've watched, uh, I showed Claire Kolchak, like the first one, The Night ah. Stalker, um, because I was basically like, I, I didn't know what I wanted to watch. And it was like, well, if you want, do you want to watch like a horror film, Columbo? <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, so we, wa- we watched Night Stalker. That's, again, that's something that maybe we need to cover at some point. Definitely. I'm not sure whether to, I'm not sure whether to go with the very first like because the original obviously was where it all took off from, um, but then obviously there's quite a few good episodes in the series and stuff like that. So, but you probably start at the at the starting point. But um, but yeah, how, so we watched. How Col- do you spell it? K O L C H A K, I think. Mm. The Night Stalker. Yeah. Yes. Because what it is that they did, they it's a made-for-TV movie, and it's basically Carl Kolchak is a reporter for the local newspaper, and a series of unusual murders take place, mm-hmm. and he begins to realise that it has a supernatural cause. Um, but the sort of in in a way, a bit like say um, Dirty Harry or Jaws or something like, he basically butts heads against the local authorities who are like yeah we think is that too but you've got to you can't report this mm, and okay. um yeah and and it was but it was like it was a one-off it was written by um uh richard matheson who um just did so many great stories and wrote um oh uh, we covered it very early on uh, 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 on Leg- uh legend of hell house yeah, he wrote he wrote the book of that and adapted the screenplay. Did Twilight Zone, I Am Legend. He's you know he's, okay, uh, yeah. Um, and basically, yeah, it was just like a one-off. T- it wasn't like a pilot or anything. It was just a one-off TV movie, and it proved to be such a hit that they then did a follow-up called The Night Strangler, hmm. and The Night Strangler basically kind of is the original version of Tombs from uh, the X-Files. Mm. Okay. In that it's a weird, it's not a, It's not something, it's not like a vampire or a werewolf or something like that. It's a more unusual human creature. And then mm. that was so successful that they then made, uh, they made one series of it. And that is, and it's li- it literally is why the X-Files existed. Because mm. it's basically Kolchak every week um, encounters like a different monster or supernatural thing or a UFO or an invisible man or a mad scientist and it's sort of yeah and okay, but it's but it's basically it's basically Columbo does the X-Files yeah it's this crumpled little it's this crumpled little man wandering around investigating it and being uh, sort of smarter than everyone else in the room but yeah it's well that is well, selling it to me it's well worth it's well worth seeing, but I th- maybe we need to cover the original at some point. I think just because, well, it's part of the, it's part of the tapestry. I think. Can we cover Columbo as well? <laughs> we could cover. There's there is a there is a Vincent Price episode of Columbo. Is oh, okay, yeah, Vincent Price is in should. an episode of Columbo, and he and just strangely enough, and this is obviously not spoilers because the great thing is with Columbo is you see the murder at the start, and it's how. He works it out. Mm, is the yeah, thing yeah. really a whodunit? Um, and unusually, yeah, Vincent Price isn't the killer. 
So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Donald Pleasance also is in a very good one. Mm. Um, where and he turns up, uh, um, he turns up at the head of a lot of polls of best Columbo villain. Um, and he's nice. yeah, he's really good in it. Um, Patrick McGowan's in it so many fucking times; it's unreal. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, one of the best, also one of the best episodes of the Johnny Cash story, uh, uh, Johnny Cash one, mm. uh, where Johnny Cash plays a country and western singer who bumps someone, uh, bumps uh, his. Is it his sister? I think it's his or his wife. I can't remember. But he bumped. Anyway, yeah. So I I digress. But yeah, there are some fantastic Columbos out there, and like much like Adam West Batman, it does tend mm. to be a bit. It lives or dies on its uh, guest star. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there's seriously, and obviously the great Santini, who is the finest Columbo villain who ever uh, mm-hmm. graced the small screen. <sighs> I've also watched Demons, you know, the um, 80s. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, Barva, uh, it's, it's not Mar- it's not Bar- Lambert. La- uh, yeah, that. <laughs> um, is that the which, six part uh, series? Uh, the, no, no, there's D- Demons is. Um, uh, Demons is a film like Italian, well, Italian made English language horror film. Mm. Um, from the 80s which is just brilliant but also one of the it's just I, there are bits in that that I think I must have watched it in some kind of you know an altered state maybe or something because there were vast <laughs> certainly towards the end I didn't remember large chunks of it and there was um, there's a samurai sold on a dirt bike fight with monsters um uh, Black Sean Connery's in it. It's just, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a marvelous film. Uh, but it's uh, Arrow released it on uh, Blu-ray as a double with uh, Demons Two, and I haven't. I was, I was kind of thinking I'd tackle Demons Two the same night, and then I was probably just too knackered. So, uh, but I will be, I will be watching Demons Two as well because they're just, they're proper, what I would describe as horror fun. You know, they're just fucking daft. But yeah, but a very good premise. It's but it's a bit sort of it's a bit in the mouth of madness because it's basically mm-hmm. someone gives out flyers to uh, go to the cinema. Loads of people go there, and then the film within the film happens in the cinema, and basically it's a sort of magical right to unleash demons. And uh, yeah, that's just. And Claudio Simonetti from Goblin did the score, and it's fucking brilliant. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> I I recommend Demons. <laughs> um, so I have caught up with uh, one of your recommendations, Adam. Uh, I watched uh, the Black Coat's Daughter. Oh yes, yes. What do you yes. think? Um, I kind of liked it. Um. I thought it was really like it worked brilliantly as a horror mm. film, but it was one of those that it finished and I was like, that was creepy. And then I was like, uh, that was a bit of a coincidence and that was never explained. Yeah. Don't know what happened to those people. Like, it was one of those, it was, it worked really well to make, it, it was really creepy and really sinister, 
but it just left me with loads of questions at the end. Yeah, it, um, it's it's not one that bears much analysis back, I don't think. No, no. Because <laughs> I, I had much the same experience where I watched it and I was sustained. So as as a Sid Mark, as as a film, it works because yeah. you are like you are taken along with it. But yeah, afterwards you do start just going, hang on. Yeah. But what was that about? And yeah. Yeah. So um, but yeah, but I it, mean it was I, it was entertaining uh, and it was really creepy. Yeah, and I liked the way the story progressed. So I mm. definitely didn't dislike it. Uh, yeah, as you say, it was just one of those that you like. So if that person hadn't turned up at exactly that moment, none of this would have happened. <laughs> and it was yeah. all a bit... Mm, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it worked. I also, it, also does, it also does feature the only documentary footage of me... Um, going on social media so which is just the bit with the phone call kill all the cunts that's the that's the two actually there's two there's two responses that are in cinema to that and the other one is peter cushion in star wars with this bickering is pointless (laughs) oh dear i've opened the internet um uh, and uh, so the other thing I did want to discuss isn't something I've watched, but it's it's something that cropped up this week that I thought I'd, might be a fun discussion. Um, so the new Rob Zombie Cape album came out this week. Oh, yes. Um, which I've given a listen and decided that I'm not sure I need any more Rob Zombie. Um, <laughs> you think he's done his bit? Yeah, I think. Yeah. And it's funny. I was having a conversation with a guy next. You know, when you say something and you just kind of say it as an off the cuff joke and then you suddenly go, no, I think I've really stumbled on something here. Um, so I was saying to somebody, because he, he was saying to me, oh, you know, the new Rob Zombie album's coming out. And I said, I, I really liked the earlier stuff. When he's like, don't get me wrong, a song can just be, you know, like the lyrics of a song don't have to change your life. It doesn't Mm. have to be something incredibly poignant, but it has Mm. to mean something. And as Rob Zombie's career has gone in, gone on, sorry, he's gone from writing songs that have a story to just saying a load of words that create a kind of creepy visual. And I think he's much more a visual person. Mm. um, And that's so I think what he's done is, in the last few years, instead of writing songs, I think he gets out his little notepad and he goes into Walmart when they open the Halloween aisle and he walks down it and he just writes everything down. Scary cat, uh, funny thing with boggly eyes, uh, that's yeah. that cat with a baby's face, uh, Halloween candy. He just writes it all down and then the band plays music and he just reads his list back in the voice of Charles Manson. And that's it. That's all he does. He doesn't bother writing anything. He that's that's his way of creating now, which you know. Has he got has he got to the Mad Libs sort of stage with it? Then you think where it's just he's he has like a flip book. Yeah. It's like right, what uh, right a lo- um, a type of vehicle, jet plane. Okay, right. Um, a uh, a country, Transylvania, a monster, yeah. creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, we've not done him before, and yeah, <laughs> and that's there we go. I'm on my airplane with the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So it just doesn't work for me, unfortunately. I mean, I, in, I, other, 
I still like this. It's great for having a party and having on the background because it's great lively music. But it's mm. just when you actually sit down and listen to it, you just go, you're just saying a load of random words, Rob. It's just not, <laughs> not cutting it. Um, <laughs> but but so what I found when I was doing a little Google was that his name has turned up a lot in the last month or so um, with a new project to reboot the Munsters in an with an R rating. Have you heard about this, Adam? Yes, I was going to. Funnily enough, that's what I was going to say. I don't know if you'd spotted this, but yeah, he's meant to be doing. I think it is a film version of the Munsters. Um, the I think the only confirmed cast member is Sherry Moon Zombie, who is playing uh, Lily. Mm. Um, and the only other person I've heard is apparently Elvira's in the cast as well. Oh, okay. Um, but other than that, I don't know much more about it. It'd be, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. But I, what was the, what was the one with Eddie Izzard? They did like a pilot oh, of you show. Thirteen Mockingbird Lane. Yeah, which again was kind of like trying to take the monsters into a, not necessarily like a, a adult or area, but it had, it, it was slightly more sort of visceral. Yeah, and you know. Herman genuinely was made of because uh, this is the thing in the monsters it's never made a thing of their monstrousness mm. whereas that was like oh no Herman is built from dead bodies and yeah. you know and grandpa is a vampire and he kills people and drinks their blood and so on and so forth so it's like I, I, I don't know I'm kind of interested to see it mm. um I'm kind of also hoping that he rings up the ghastly ones and gets them to do the score. Oh, that could save it. <laughs> you see, I think, weirdly enough, the one thing, and this is, is like you were saying about his sort of lyrically and everything else like that, the one thing I would say is that I think that there is, there is a, an element of, of horror that is kind of like the Halloween horror. And it is, you know, oh, we'll chuck, we'll chuck in a load of glow in the dark skeletons, and we'll, you know, but it's that's fun, yeah. And I kind of think that he might be on a, I'm, I think he might be on the right mind frame to do that. I think if he takes R rated as, oh, let's put it in that they did because that they go around killing people or whatever like that, and it's sort of. That don't work because that's the Adams family. The Munsters and the Adams family have a different vibe because mm. the whole point of the Munsters is that they're a wholesome American family who just happen to be monsters and yeah. scare other people. But uh, I think, yeah, I think Rob Zombie might be, it might be a good place for him to go because I think it's something, A, it's something he's familiar with, but also I think he might, uh, he understands the fun side of horror like that Halloween-y carnival party version of horror. Yeah. So, I, yeah, you know, I, fingers crossed. I absolutely agree. I think if anybody can do it, I think it's him. The problem is I don't think anybody can do it. I think, <laughs> mm. the, I think the problem with it is it's one of those things that works as a comedy because it's a comedic loon, like lunatic idea. It's Dracula... His daughter is married to Frankenstein's monster and they've got a werewolf for a son. Like, you can't make that serious. It, it just doesn't <laughs> work. Um, yeah. But, but as you say, I think if anyone can keep it 
I can make it a bit more adult, possibly. But but as you say, definitely the the, the foreground is going to be fun for him. So yeah. I'm hoping that yeah, you're right. He can make it into like a big scary carnival Halloween ride, and not try and make a real horror movie out of it, which it is is never going to be. No, because it's weird. It's like all this sort of stuff that keeps coming up at the moment. What was it? It was like the banana splits. I've not seen it, but there's that that bl- there's like the I've banana splits movie that is a horror movie. Yeah, and yeah, I think that if you tried to do, I think if you tried to do the monsters like that, it's very much you might as well do Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as like try and remake that. Yeah, it, mm. but keep it to that same. You, you know, you you can't. It's actually no, I'm probably wrong there because the point is in. In, I mean, we'll get into it, but mainly the point is, is that all the monsters are taken seriously and remain as monsters. Mm. And I think that that, is, that would be the way to fuck the monsters up. Mm. Is if, like you say, if you try and make it genuinely like they fulfil their horror roles, then it might as well not be called the monsters because that's but not the point of it. Precisely. That's exactly it. Like, I don't... I don't see how you can put though them in a horror scenario and not not mess with the format. But I mean, what, was it? what do you think, Chris? I mean, obviously you're. I think you haven't seen much of the TV show. You've only really seen the Monsters movie. Is that right? Yeah, like I did see, you know, some of the episodes when I was younger. But I definitely mixed them up with the Adams family um, until watching the film, and then obviously it all comes back. Um, yeah, how like Adam said, they are essentially a nice family. Um, although, yes, I mean now I, I can't remember how the Adams family is. Because um, <laughs> that, Adam, that was Adams more serious, is, was it? They are quite. I mean, the Adams family, they are weird and macabre and deliberately so, and enjoy it. Yeah. Mm, okay. Whereas the mon- yeah. the monsters are They're just trying a to be nice normal, family. aren't they? Essentially, yeah. yeah. They're trying to fit in, and yeah, um, I, I mean, I'd definitely be interested to see it. I've only seen House of a Thousand Corpses from Rob Zombie, um, and I, I remember Dragula was that one of his songs? Yeah, yeah. And but before Which, that, I'd only heard White Zombie, so I've not heard anything else from him. So I don't and know and him that well. Dra- the Dragula is a monsters reference. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, well, yeah um, it's good to try things. It mm. is, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, like we've said, a, apart from with Star Wars, like we say with all these things, you can try and reboot and change them, and if it doesn't work, nobody's taking the originals away from you. So yeah. it, it can't be bad. It, I, I, I mean, there's no way I'm not going to see it. I don't care how bad mm. the trailer or anything is. Whatever happens, <laughs> I will watch this movie. Um, I've got to just out of sheer interest. Yeah. Mm. Because I've not watched, I've not watched. What was his last one? Thirty-one. Yeah, I've not. But uh, and I've, oh, I've no. not watched that just because of oh, no, how universally yeah. everyone said it was shy, mm. In- including yourself, me. So I was like, no, I, I won't worry. It was so bad it made me angry, <laughs> which, as we know, doesn't happen very often. I can watch a terrible film and come away and either think, well, it was terrible film, but I enjoyed something about it. Or I can just come away and go, 
it's going to be fun to poke fun at. But that that film was so bad, it it angered me that I won't get that time back. I think it is also when it's a level of expert, a level mm-hmm. of expectation from someone who's done stuff in the past and it doesn't quite, yeah. yeah. And this is the problem with him. Like, when he gets it right, he gets it really right. But when he gets it wrong, it's so spectacularly bad that mm. I just can't. And it just makes me think, are his, are his hits just good luck? Like, but yeah, I mean, we'll Or is he, tread, is he trying to tread a fine line and go one way or the other? I mean, especially with something like this, he's trying to do it differently. I get that impression. I don't mm. think he's going into these things lightly, and it just me. It probably is just that they misfire, or you, mm. you know, sometimes you get it, get it absolutely right. Sometimes you get it absolutely wrong. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, good luck to you, Rob. Anyway, so we look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Um, so on to this evening's meat and potatoes. As uh, uh, and if our our, uh, our complaining customer is listening, it has been another forty minutes until we get into the main subject. Um, <laughs> And I don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> as you He's can tell, the fuck drawer and found it empty. <laughs> I'm not taking this review personally. Um, <laughs> so, on Chris's request this evening, uh, we've gone mm. back to the Stone Cold Classic, in my opinion. Uh, 19, is it 48? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, 48. Yeah, yeah. 1948. Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Um, I know Adam and I have mentioned this a few times. It's one of those that comes up in the, um, when we talk about Universal sort of branching out when they found that the series was dying and they weren't getting the numbers in and that this was Mm. a way of them trying to sort of generate that revenue again. Um, But we love it (laughs) in some ways as much as the originals. Um, So Chris, what did you make of it on your first viewing? Well, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but <laughs> I think I chose very wisely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like it really works for me having the element of humour with those monsters. Um, yeah, such a good synergy, I think. Um, it, it's What did we watch? It was uh, not Frankenstein's wife, uh, Bride, Bride of Frankenstein mm. we watched before. And, and yeah, that worked for me in a similar sort of way so um and of course i am very happy because now i know who abbott and costello are and the fact that it could be threaded through our our criteria of it being horror so it's ticked all the right boxes once again um now skipping right to the end did i hear vincent price's voice you did indeed sir i did i was 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 like oh look where'd that come from (laughs) So, because we've not seen the Invisible Man, so I'm assuming he must be the voice of the Invisible Man. Then, nope, he's not. No, no. the the worrying thing is, and I'll like we'll get into it, but basically, mm. Abbott and Costello had done. I think I did write it down. This is this is their twenty second film that they released. Okay, and and in total, they did thirty six films. They used to do like two a year. And, um, but yeah, this, this kind of was, at the, this came at a point where their sort of, their popularity was beginning to wane, mm, mostly okay. because probably of oversaturation. Because, but, yeah. Because okay. they, yeah, they were, they literally were releasing two films a year mm. and then 
when they did that, they would also re-release the back catalogue and put that in theatres as well. So you would have, so as they were going, you were just building up, you'd have like 10 fucking Abbott and Costello films mm. that you could be watching it or, you know, um, or by this point, like 22. And no, they are great, but I can see that might be an oversaturation. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, think, I think it is just, yeah, I think it's just too ubiquitous and everything. Were there other duos, comedy duos at the time? The, well, a lot of, I did see a lot of things where they said it was, oh, I can't think of who his fucking partner was. Um, but uh, Jerry Lewis and um, oh Christ, no, it's gone, it's gone. Anyway, um, but uh, there were no one other, speak. Well, I mean, you've had sort of you had sort of uh, like Laurel and Hardy as well, mm, like prior okay. to this, because really Abbott, Abbott and Costello were huge in the forties and fifties, mm. uh, or like early fifties, and they were actually the highest paid entertainers in world war Two, mm. like during world war Two, they were they were earning the most of anyone and like i say they they released loads and loads of films they released they were on tv they did radio they would do guest appearances on other people's shows they were they were really everywhere mm. and really at the time like really successful and everything um but yeah their popularity was sort of like starting to drop off and then they did this and it was a massive hit so they started doing a few other, um, like, horror. Basically, they were like, oh, right, so that's what people want. They want Abel Costello meets horror thing. Um, and, yeah, uh, but they did, yeah, so after this, they did they did uh, Abel Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff because, actually, that was some... Dean Martin, that's who I'm thinking of. Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, of course. And that... Yeah, they were the double act who were then next in line in terms of popularity. So, um, but yeah, sorry. And um, yeah, so they did Abbott and Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. Now, Boris Karloff didn't want to be in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but he agreed to publicise it. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So there was like a, there was a TV advert, which was Boris Karloff going to see it. (laughs) <laughs> that was just him like waiting in line and then getting his ticket at the cinema to go and see it so he kind of has a connection to it because it's still universal horror but he wasn't actually in the he wasn't actually in the film um but yeah so they did Abbott Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff Abbott Costello meet the invisible man Abbott Costello meet Jekyll and Hyde which was Boris Karloff again mm-hmm. um and Abbott Costello meet the mummy which I think was like their second from last film I think um, but disappointingly enough, I have seen Abbott Costello meet the Invisible Man, and it's not fucking Vincent Price, because in my tiny whatever I would have been nine year old head, I was like, right, so Vincent Price is the voice at the end of the Invisible Man at the end, so he must be in the Invisible. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's well, it's not Vincent fucking Price, so who cares? <laughs> but but yeah, so but they um, as a double act, their big hit was. Uh, their sort of signature act was a thing called Who's On First. Mm. And it's basically two pe- it's basically the pair of them discussing a baseball game. But all the people in the baseball game have names like Who and What. Ah. So it's like Who's On First? Yeah. What? Yeah, Who's <laughs> On First? Yes. 
Oh, so yes is on first. No, who's on first? That's what I'm asking you. It was one of those sort of yeah, yeah. routines, you know. And actually, there's a there's a much better version of it done by the Animaniacs, where they go to Woodstock and it's they do yes, the Who and the band. <laughs> so it's like the Who's on first. No, the band's on first. Yeah, the band and Who's on first. Yes, the Who. No, and and it's even in. Um, the Canyonero episode of The Simpsons, uh, Principal Skinner and uh, uh, Chalmers, Superintendent yeah. Chalmers tried to do it. But um, Chalmers says, who's on first? And then Skinner says, not the pronoun, but rather a player with the unlikely name of who is on first <laughs> and completely fucks the sketch. So, but yeah, so, but they, they sort of like were... Uh, really sort of at, at, at the time this was like the thing that rejuvenated their mm. like their fortunes at least for a, 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 another few years um, eventually I mean they weren't really um, they weren't really mates um, they it was very much a sort of professional relationship like you get with a lot of uh, comedians from that time I think you know mm. I, th I think a lot of comedians even now you know I mean it's not like uh, it's not like uh, the Mighty Boosh share a house or anything, is yeah, it? You yeah. know, but but I yeah, I think with them it was very. But basically, yeah, I think most of the most of the fame and fortune went on gambling, and then mm. uh, as they were getting less and less popular, they just started getting on each other's tits, and so sort of, so it sort of started. But apparently, and there is apparently Errol Flynn claimed that he managed. He was the one who eventually broke them up because. Uh, he said that he invited them and their families round for dinner. After dinner, said, I'm going to stick on a home movie, put on some hardcore porn, and then and was like, oh, I don't, what, what, what's this? Oh, I don't know. Someone must have switched the tape or whatever like that. And he played innocent, so Abbott and Costello blamed each other. <laughs> so, yeah, so Errol Flynn may have been responsible for them finally sort of um, <laughs> splitting up. But yeah, for a while they were, for a while they were like the ticket. Mm. You know, they were just huge, and um, and I know Chris was it a rival you said was the yes the reason that he, yeah because yeah. do they call is it they call the aliens the, in that the heptapods yeah and, uh, and I, I thought like what why would they have chosen those as the names for this film that's it's you know a serious film. And I'm like, I've heard of those names, but yeah, why would the writer decide to use those? Obviously, then it must be that they were very big and bigger than I realised. So I always thought I should find out who they are. Um, I, again, I think weirdly, weirdly enough, I think there it's one of those acts where it's it just was too late to end up being indelible. I don't think that they went into. Certainly not over here. I mean, I don't know. It's probably mm. a very different thing in America where probably people are far more aware of them. But they were certainly in, in terms, they were a, an American sensation. Okay. So, you know, the majority of their success was the States. So I think over here, they're probably not, at, certainly now they're not as resonant a name mm. as they probably still are over there. It's um, funny though, because I, I felt watching it now, that their comedy held up an awful lot better than, you know, like Laurel mm. and Hardy and um, 
the Marx Brothers and that kind of stuff. Like I know it's all, it was you know it was all within a couple of decades. But their comedy, I still sat on the sofa laughing out loud halfway mm. through. It's like I thought it still worked absolutely brilliantly and found it hilarious. And not just enough. Well, you know, it's funny if you give it a pass and accept that it was seventy years ago. I, I genuinely just mm. still found it funny. <laughs> it's 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 weird because I think it's. I think it's very cartoon, really. Mm. It's it has that sort of feeling where it's it's the same way as you watch Looney Tunes or something like that, where it's like Bugs Bunny making asides to the camera and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I mean, apart from apart from let's let's face it, a, f- a fairly shitty attitude to taking two women out. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, where it's sort of like, well, you've got two women, I'll have one. But apart from that, I don't. It's also remarkably undodgy. Yeah, you don't. I don't think uh, to to my mind, and you know, I'm probably I might have missed something. I don't know, but, but I don't think there's anything you kind of have to make allowances for. For you know, there's not some scene where they're bloody blacked up or something stupid like that, yeah. where you're like, oh well, you know, at the time, but you're like, yeah, this is not fucking playing, is it? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I still think that the, weirdly enough, watching it, I think it's something that you could still show during the day, mm. not have to worry, you know, too much about your kids watching it or whatever like oh, that. Funnily know. enough, I was going to say I allowed my kids to watch some of it. Oh, and so oh brilliant! That's the yeah. first time they've seen. Yeah, so they've seen Frankenstein. I don't think they've ever mentioned him before. Really, like they sort of they know of him. But, yeah, I don't think they've seen him. And um and Bella Lugosi playing Dracula. So yeah, they, they were very entertained for the sort of ten minutes they were watching some of it. Yeah, because obviously because obviously this I, I was about to say it's not it's not your first taste of Bella, but it's your first mm. taste of Bella as Dracula. Oh, okay. And oh, it's yeah, of course. Because because actually he only played Dracula twice officially. Mm. He's in but- he was so iconic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's weird because it's because I was I was saying to Claire, I said, oh, you know, he's only he only played Dracula twice in the original Dracula, like Universal Dracula, like thirty eight or whatever it is, thirty nine, mm-hmm. and this, and all other times he might have been, I think I think he might have popped up on telly in like someone's sketch show or something like that. And even then, it would probably be, oh, yeah, I'm Dr. Atkiller. So <laughs> they got past the having to pay Universal or anything, even when <laughs> Bela Lugosi's turned up in a cloak. And, um, but it is so... It's weird to watch something when you realise that they only did it twice and it's still nearly 100 years later. There's people still... It's their default version of Dracula. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, it's 1931. So it is. It's 90 years this year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. And, but yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, even stuff like, you know, the Count von Count in Sesame Street is Bella Lugosi. Mm. It's the widow's peak. It's the eyebrows, it's their voice. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's still how everyone kind of, well, it's still how popular cultures take on Dracula is much in the same way as if you ask a kid to draw Frankenstein, they've got a square, they do it with a square head and bolts, even though Mm. that's universal and not Mary Shelley. 
Again, and, it's back to it's back to the work that Jack Pierce did all those years ago, mm. which is which, as we say, you know, 90 years on is still the resounding image, it, it, despite the fact we've all read the book and we've all seen yeah. all the adaptations. It's that universal makeup that we all go to default on on all of these characters. It's incredible. I did read an interesting thing where someone said, because obviously Bella Lugosi, the one thing was, is that he got really typecast and would play villains and versions of Dracula. And I think he played, he has he played other vampires or certainly did in a couple of films. And, um, and someone actually said that possibly the reason that Boris Karloff didn't suffer in the same way. I mean, one, I don't think Boris Karloff was as bothered as Bella Lugosi. I think Boris Karloff was just like, well, we're working. Yeah. So, you know, but because he was so heavily made up, he could then go off and do other things. Yeah. Because, but whereas Bella Lugosi is essentially, you know, it's, he's, there's barely any makeup involved whatsoever. You know, it's just him. <laughs> and so he immediately, to create such an impression, unfortunately, did then mean that he wasn't going to get you know, romantic lead or... He was a natural-born Dracula. Yeah, he's a natural-born Drac. But it's... Yeah, I think... And, and as I was saying, I think the one thing that I... And this is this goes back to when I was first... When I first got into, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, with... Res, with well, essentially with Reservoir Dogs and True Romance... Um, I remember watching a, when Pulp Fiction was coming out, they had like some, it was like Arena or something on the beat. And they had like, a, they did like a big Tarantino special and he was talking about a lot of his influences. And one of the things that came up was Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. Mm. And he said it was, he said, because it taught him how to do it properly, that you don't diminish your villain. Mm. So even if your film is funny, and even if the villain is funny, they still do bad things. Mm. And he was like, you know, and his example was the monster throws Dr. Mornay out of the window. You know, she is killed. There yeah. is no two ways about it. It's, you know, it's, and thingy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mr. McDougal gets, like, nearly gets his throat ripped out and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, n although... Even like when the even when the Wolfman is padding round after him in the uh, hotel room, and it is funny because um, it, Will was not noticed that he is being pursued by the Wolfman, and it has an element of pantomime to it because obviously it would just come straight out and rip it to fucking shreds. But that threat is never diminished. It's never sort of like, oh no, it will rip him to shreds if it gets, yeah, yeah. you know. And it's, yeah. again, it's, it's keeping the same, you know, I've made a note as well. The transformation and the makeup and everything, exactly the same as they are in The Wolfman. Mm. They don't mm. like ham it up or go for a, well, you know, we'll take the edge off and make it slightly yeah. less scary as this is a comedy audience. They just mm. gave them what they got with Universal 100%. And it's interesting because, like we were saying about Rob Zombie and trying to combine two sort of different genres, like it could fail miserably you'd think mm. it's interesting that that works so well keeping them exactly as they are mm. but obviously it doesn't unfold exactly the same but 
yeah, it's it's funny how it does work so well. And I I think actually, and the weird thing is, is I think that it's um, there's a certain element, like playful element to Dracula anyway. Mm. So I think it doesn't he doesn't get diminished by actually having conversations with them and everything because it's because he sort of likes to do mind tricks. Yeah, he plays play with, with them his a bit. Food, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so that kind of that kind of still works. Mm. And and like and like Lee was saying with the, you know, not only did the transformations and the makeup, not only are they the same, but you actually get quite a good bit of monster for your money with this. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You, it's not just. It's not just. Um, it's not just. It's not like, just been stuck in. Yeah, a, yeah. Because I think it's like within within the first like five minutes, you see the Wolfman, mm. and there's something very satisfying about that. Especially if you were, you know, if you were going to see it because you were a horror fan, not necessarily an Abbott and Costello fan. Mm. You know, you I wouldn't, you wouldn't that, feel cheated. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think because uh, there's there does seem to be a weird, basically it's not part of universal canon. You know, it's not part of the overall story. But there seems to have been a lot of grey area about that at the time. I don't think anyone, I don't think any of the people at Universal were one way or the other with it. Okay. So Because so apparently, apparently it was originally, it didn't even have Abbott and Costello in the title. They only did that mm. so that people, in a way, which I think again was being fair, is they did it so that people wouldn't go to it expecting You'd, like just yeah. a straight horror film. Mm. Um, but originally it was called the, the Brain of Frankenstein, mm. which immediately kind of puts it in that Frankenstein lineage because you've got like son of, bride of, ghost mm. of, uh, house of. And so, yeah, so there seems to have been at possibly at the time that they were like this is our this is us wrapping up the universal monsters yeah uh, because and again it's a weird one because i think it was just both both abbott and costello and the universal monsters were both in a popularity decline mm. but this really rejuvenated it certainly sort of like oh, certainly of- this film was a big success Mm. And then I think they tried it again, and I, you know, there's reasons why we've probably not pursued and seen any of the others is because they're not quite up to the standard. Mm. But yeah, you don't lose, you you don't come away from this not having seen monsters yeah. and not having seen the monsters do what the monsters do. Mm. Well, really, you you kind of end up with the best of both worlds. Yeah, you're getting the comedy and you get the monsters and. It's like, yeah, just a win-win. And it's got that, there's something about, the, obviously I know there are other studios putting stuff out around the same time, um, but there's just something about the sheen on these universal films. I think it's the way mm. that they're shot in those back lots with like the map backgrounds and stuff. There's just something about I mean, I thought it this time when I put this on. If ever I, it's late at night, and I'm like, should I go to sleep or should I put something on? I'll always put on something, uh, put on a Universal because 
they are just that warm blanket that just wraps you up and prepares you for bed and makes you feel all cozy and warm. Um, and, and this film absolutely had that feeling. It, it was just, it was universal through and through. Um, mm-hmm. As you say, it, it didn't feel like they'd taken either of them out of their comfort zone. It was, it was, it was both of their worlds conjoined. It was like Freddy versus Jason. Like it was mm. the best of everything and it worked <laughs> perfectly. And it didn't feel like a smash cut between two things that you like that just don't mesh. Yeah. It just worked fantastically. Yeah. Neither, neither of, neither of the two sides of it lose out. They're just mm. enhanced by each other, which is quite, you know, especially cause it's quite early on, you know, cinematically, I suppose, or whatever like that. I mean, it's, you know, 30 odd years into or 40 odd years into <coughs> sort of modern cinema but it's um i think the other uh, characteristic of it though is it has that it doesn't feel cheap no oh, yeah. it still feels like you say like it feels well like produced. a universal film. yeah yeah mm. and i mean like the lab that's how a fucking lab should look yeah <laughs> buzzing things and, and everything else. And also, I am obsessed with the little bit under the castle that goes down to the docks, like yeah. down to the the river. I don't know why. It, even Ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted that door. You know, like in Wayne's World, <laughs> where he wants a door with ninjas training. Yeah, I've always just wanted that door where you can open it, broom closet, broom closet, and then <laughs> open it up and there's, yeah, just the, my, the little escape room. <laughs> and um, I mean, ov- obviously, the other the other thing that keeps it in is by having the proper people. So obviously, we said Bella Lugosi. You've got uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, playing the Wolfman again. Yeah. Um, and actually, Glenn Strange was the <laughs> strangely enough after his co-stars was the third person to play the monster. Yeah. Because obviously, Carl Karloff did it. And then Lon Chaney did it, and then Bella Lugosi did it because his character Igor had his brain put into the monster, so it became Bella Lugosi. Mm. Um, but yeah, so everyone, it, it's you, you've got all the right people in. There's no, you, no one's sort of like nothing's let the side down, as it were. Yeah, um, you know, you've got the and again, Lon Chaney. Much the same as way, you know, I mean, obviously, like I say, Bella Lugosi just is wonderful because it's that cat and mouse playing with your food thing with Dracula, where he's like, sort of, you know, he can talk to them and treat them like imbeciles and everything else like that. Whereas, you know, Lon Chaney's desperation mm. is still there because he's still, I, I still, ever since we watched fucking Spider-Baby, I'm just in awe of... Lon Chaney. I know he doesn't. He, I think a lot of people don't give him quite the rep he deserves. But God, that man does heartbroken really well. Yeah, he and does. It, yeah. And it's that same sort of thing, that sort of tortured feeling. Mm. Um, and again, there's. I mean, there's just moments where it's perfect because it's how it would be, how it should have been in the normal films. Like when he grabs him by the lapels, but it's like. <laughs> Like that, yeah, like that, and he's just whacking him into the door and stuff like that. And you're all like, Yeah, that's that's probably in a lot of them. He just grabs a bottle of pills. What are you doing, man? 
you know that sort of <laughs> that sort of response whereas yeah this that feels much more like just some poor bastard being <laughs> near throttled yeah, serious kill you. Yeah. a giant of a man <laughs> yes yeah you do you do realize quite how fucking tall all these fuckers were as well yeah. um and actually interesting point um glenn strange in the bit at the end where they're doing the, the in the lab sequence um glenn strange tripped over a cable and shattered his ankle mm. uh, so long cheney jr took over as the monster because <laughs> obviously he'd worn the makeup the outfit before so they just t- done him up as the monster i think it's actually him who throws the nurse through the window oh, really? uh, throws the doctor through the window yeah um and, that's quite um, useful having all of them you know on set ready to go oh, definitely yeah as well. Well, especially is because i mean i think that's the uh, although universal stuff looks good like most you know film companies i'm sure everything's just a bit cheap so they're all they're all wearing a jacket that still says property of mr b Karloff in the back of it you know yeah. they, you know they didn't all get their own suit it was probably just like yeah you all kind of fit so yeah yeah again it's and what I like is they didn't overcomplicate the story. A lot of these things at a mm. later date where they're trying to bring all the monsters in, it could so easily have been an over-the-top, like, over-elaborate... try and do too much. Yeah, but they were like, mm. let's just mm. keep it simple. Yeah. It's just... it's Again, it doesn't feel like they've reined it in because it's like, it's just a comedy. We're not taking it seriously. But it is just, what's the simplest way to have them all there together? Right, horror museum done. Bosh, move on. Yeah, and it just yeah, and it just works brilliantly. It's and I love that sequence as well. I, I think for me because it's all I've ever seen of Abbott and Costello is is mm. this and the Mummy. Um, I think the the scene where you see the two of them unpacking the crates is where you really get to know mm. the relationship. So you mm. see it in the. Uh, in the station house as well when they're messing around with the boxes um and that's hilarious but it, it, you see the two of them together mainly when they're doing that crate thing and it just works yeah. like mm. it you feel the the comedy of both of them like him getting more and more scared and the other guy getting more <laughs> and more irate at him about it it yeah it's yeah. just it's great comedy it holds up it's with stands mm. the test of time um yeah and it definitely <laughs> makes me want to watch more of their stuff it's kind of because it's just I think it's also just because it's quite silly. Mm. Yeah. It's and quite and like, and like I say, it just and I think a lot of it was probably where it was Abbott Costello feeding into popular culture, but it does feel like watching a Looney Tunes. Yeah. Mm. They feel like like Bugs and Daffy or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of relationship sort of thing where it's just sort of um one just winding the other up yeah. <laughs> as they go and they're just sort of trapped there. And I did and actually the bit the the bit that uh, the bit that made Claire laugh was definitely uh Frankie, you don't want my brain. Honestly, I've had it for 30 years and it doesn't work right. It never worked <laughs> right one day. <laughs> and also it was just it was just weird watching it and just thinking God, I've watched this so many times that there are parts of this that just are stuck in my head. Mm. One is the way that Mr. McDougall says, police! <laughs> and also just the, Sandra! 
And because um, actually, I think that's the thing is that um, the, the that's the one bit that kind of well, it doesn't date it or anything because it feels it feels appropriate within the time or anything else like that. But Mr. McDougal is very much what I've heard described as a Mr. Faulty character. Yeah, and it's not as in Basil Faulty; it's as in the people who react to Basil Faulty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or, and also, or like people how they react to um, Frank Spencer. You know, where it's like you're sort of like they get heightened by it. Yeah, you know, so it's like, whoa, get out of my you know, they're very sort of, you know, it. It's less than realistic, but. Mm. It still works within the thing because McDougal's clearly just a bit of a brick. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I don't know why it is, but it just caught me right off guard was the bit with Have you seen Chuck Young and Wilbur Gray? Seen him? I don't even know him. <laughs> I think the sets in this were fantastic as well. They're, mm. They didn't go too over the top. But like, yeah, the castle, uh, uh, the initial matte painting of the castle looks fantastic. And I, I love those old matte paintings of castles. Mm. Uh, always up on the top of a hill with loads of crookedy old stairs leading up. Um, yeah, and then once you actually get in, it's got that massive lavish staircase so that Bella Lugosi mm. comes sweeping down in his dressing gown. Um, yeah, it just, it's... I say it's just it's modern enough that it doesn't feel too unrealistic, but it harkens back so much to those Universal films that it kind of just ties everything in together. I'm going to say here, George Lucas, take note, they didn't need to add any <laughs> digital replacements. <laughs> That's true. Well, apparently, mind you, there is the George Lucas cut where Abbott Costello are replaced with Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, <laughs> but they're but they're not even like good Rocky and Bullwinkle. They're animated ones voiced by twats. So <laughs> I had a, because like I said, I mean, obviously we've, we've done, we've watched a couple of Lon Chaney's. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so Wolfman and, and Spider Baby. Spider Baby, yeah. Mm. Um, but I did realise that apart from the Wolfman where he is uh, Bella the Gypsy, this is mm, yes, yeah. It's only the, this is only the only time we've really watched Bella Lugosi, and um, so yeah, I had a I had a sort of look. I mean, most of it was sort of bits and pieces I knew, but um, I didn't realize his real name was Bella Frenic Deso Blasco. Uh, he was born in Hungary, but in a town called uh, Lugos, oh. and that's where his surname came from. So mm -hmm. and. Um, uh, that he said uh, the the city of Lugos is now modern day is now in Romania, mm. um, and um, he left school at twelve to pursue his acting career initially on stage. He fought in World War One as an infantryman uh, infantryman in the Austro-Hungarian Army, uh, receiving a medal for wounds suffered on the Russian front. Wow. Um, he initially worked in Hungarian films. Uh, but he was an active socialist and trade unionist, a unionist, and he had to flee the country after the failed Hungarian Communist Revolution of 1919. 
and then he went went to Berlin and then ended up going to um, going to the States. Um, he oh we we went to the States in 1920. He was actually a naturalised citizen in 1931. Um, he worked as a labourer and appeared in a, a few New York theatre productions. Uh, this was something that I half knew, but it was something that's become a bit of an urban myth. Um, his first, his first, on his first appearance on Broadway, he learned the part phonetically because his English was so bad. Mm. Um, and I had heard that it was when he did the play of Dracula, but no, it was like it was an early one. By the time he was doing Dracula, he had a better grasp of English. Mm. But yeah, I mean, and that's one of those things where you're like. That's oddly, that is just so sort of impressive where it's like to just learn an alien, essentially an alien language yeah. and be able to perform and do that. You know, that's, that's, that's really, that's really good. Hmm. Um, and he, although he was doing uh, in 1927, he did the Broadway version of Dracula that then toured the country. Um, but he wasn't actually the first choice for the the adaption, the universal one. Um, I think they would. I don't think they were that sold on him, even though he'd been the star of the play and the the film was the play. Yeah. So yeah, um, but he successfully lobbied to uh, to play the character, and obviously, yeah, that's that's what uh, happened. And then obviously ended up becoming quite typecast. But also he had. Um, related to his wounding, he had really bad sciatica, and his doctors prescribed him opiates, and it led to him ended up being a morphine addict. Mm. So, which was sort of his ignominious end, as it were. But, but he um, obviously he did like a, he did a lot of film roles. Uh, you know, he did a lot of villainous film roles, and then he uh, towards just towards the end of his life and his career, he met uh, Edward D. Wood Junior, uh, who cast him as because he was a fan cast him as major roles at a time when he was not working you know he was really just on his uppers and yeah edward obviously um uh, he obviously put him after his death um in plan nine from outer space which yes. is the so-called worst movie ever made i and, love it um, i don't care what anyone says that's a fantastic I, film I think, to be honest, not only that, but I think there are a lot of other films that really need to get in that fucking list first. Because <laughs> if nothing else, Plan Nine is entertaining. Oh yeah. So, but um, and um, yeah, when he uh, when he died, he was uh, buried in his Dracula cape uh, on the suggestion of his son. Mm. It was like, oh, do you think Dad would want to be buried in his cave? So, and yes, he was. So that's interesting. I was going to say, um, as you said, he was typecast as mm. regular. Um, and so he was happy about that or was happy about it to start with. But then I, th I think I think he was happy of the fact that obviously it got him work. But I think also it it wasn't so much that it got him work, but it was what it cut off mm. because yeah, basically okay. Especially once, because obviously Dracula came out, it was an insane fucking hit. Well, so, so this is the the play. Yeah, well, the play, it, the play, it really came big out as the play, hit, and then, yeah. then the Universal film in nineteen thirty one came out, and yeah. was and and that's what he lobbied to 
become yeah, he lobbied to yeah. to play the part because they I think I think they were of the opinion that okay so that he's a stage actor but we we mm. probably need a film actor yeah do, you know, some, some uh, it might have even just been I don't know good old fashioned xenophobia it might have just been well we don't want some foreign bloke starring in it. And, yeah. you know, it, for whatever reason, but yeah, he eventually got the part and it was such a runaway success. Mm. But then, interestingly enough, what happened was, is that then Universal were like, right, so horror's the thing, right, so we've done Dracula. Next one on the list, we obviously do Frankenstein. And Bella Lugosi was offered the part of the monster, but he didn't, he didn't fancy doing something that was, like, made up and didn't... Um, I can't remember. He doesn't have any lines in the first one, does he? It's Bride of Frankenstein where he first speaks. So, mm. again, he was just like, oh, what, what sort of a part is it's it? Not, Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, no one will know it's me because yeah. I'll be under makeup. I don't have any lines. What's the point? And then, obviously, Boris Karloff did it. Frankenstein was an even bigger fucking hit. Mm. And Boris Karloff started getting more phone calls than Bella Lugosi, say. But also, they they actually, I mean, they did some, they even did some uh, films together. They did, um, what is it, The Invisible Ray and Cat. Black Cat. One of the two Black Cats that Bella Lugosi did, actually. There's yeah. one with Carl and one not. Um, and, yeah, he, so he did, he appeared in... Um, he appeared with Karloff in a few films, but I think Karloff was just doing better. And also, I think that there was maybe Karloff had a better range. Mm. But also, I don't know if Lugosi was just given the chance necessarily. But there was... There, there once, was once you've said no, you turn mm. something down, you, you're not... Yeah. And I think, I mean, that was, the, that, was the quite, that was quite the tragedy of it. It's by the time, because cause obviously Karloff sort of like did like the first three and was like, no, I don't want to do it anymore. And then eventually Bella Lugosi ended up playing the monster and mm. ironically had all his lines cut. So it was like, you know, so he almost ended up sort of back to the proposition that at the time he was like, no, I don't need this. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it might have been, I mean, who knows? I mean, it might have, you know, so much is bound up in the performances and how these things work out who knows frankenstein might not have been a hit with with lugosi as the monster mm. Mm. but it probably would have been and yeah and then obviously the thing was is in terms of universal stuff boris karloff then obviously goes on and does the mummy and things like that so he becomes universal's a star mm. yeah. and even down to the fact that like you get um like uh, lugosi's in the wolfman but he's, it's like a character part. It's not particularly, you know, mm. it's, it's not a starring role. It's not, he, he has what, two minutes of screen time, maybe? Yeah. It's a good, I'd say it's a good choice for the character, for the role, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just. Uh, well, this, this is the thing is, I think, you know, he, he was sort of, I think he was just pootling along and he just was getting less and less work. Mm. And partially, I think it was, partially, I think it was just people were like, well, we don't want, we don't want a Dracula vibe for this, mm. so we won't hire Dracula. And it's like, he's not Dracula. <laughs> yeah. You know, but mm. you can sort of, you can sort of understand it in terms of, you know, especially it's a very cutthroat 
you know, movies is and always has been a very sort of cutthroat, sort of fuck you sort of a industry anyway. And as soon as you're not in favour or you're not getting the roles or whatever like that, you 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 tend to get neglected. And well, I suppose it's, there's a lot of money involved and a lot of mm. pressure, a lot of people, and yeah, so you'll want what you're doing to be a success. Yeah, and I mean, like you, like you said, with the like as as the opposite with with Frankenstein's monster, you know, um, his portrayal of Dracula was fantastic. But it's his face and it's his voice. So no mm. matter what you put him in, you're going to see that as Dracula in that character. Yeah. Where like, yeah. Um, uh, the Frankenstein's monster is really heavy makeup. As you say, mm. he has maybe five or six lines in that whole, like so little dialogue. Mm. You can get away with it. And then you could just put him in the next thing and it would be fine. You could just move from that to the ghoul, to the mummy. Again, he's completely wrapped up in the mummy. It, although he does the... You get to see him as Ardic Bay. As Karis, yeah. Um, Ardic Bay? Oh, anyway. Um, Ardic, yeah, it is, sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, again, so you get to see him in those dual roles, but again, you can make him up and just, you don't know who he is. But, and I think that was the problem with um, uh, with Lugosi, was that character was so, he was so ingrained with that character, it was just hard to move him away from anything. Um, yeah, and, and even even in terms of his vocal uh, delivery, you know, that was just how he spoke. He wasn't doing Dracula. Yeah, mm. that was just how he spoke. So was, again, if he was playing, if he was doing anything else, I mean, not to say that he couldn't do other voices possibly, or could, um, you know, modify it or whatever like that. But I think the expectation would be that oh, yeah, we we hire him if we want Dracula, and then and as I say, ironically, there's a, it's only twice that he actually plays the character yeah. um, having got so sort of like and actually weirdly enough I think the the sort of like the Ed Wood element that almost feels that almost feels like I mean it's on a different certainly on a different success level regardless of anything else but that feels a bit like where you've got um, like you get with Quentin Tarantino where it's like oh you know, he revives John Travolta's career. Mm-hmm. You know, like Pulp Fiction comes out, and suddenly John Travolta is actually a bankable name in yeah. cinema for the first time in like fifteen years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly, weirdly enough, you know, if if the uh, if the Ed Wood films had been huge, it would have been like a final hurrah for Lugosi of actually sort of like, yeah, I'm, you know, I am a major. You know, I am the the ostensible star in these shot in these uh, films. Mm. <coughs> it's a shame because I really liked like Bride of the Monster, like those mm. Edward films. I, they are campy, but they again they, they've got that. They're the they feel almost like Universal, but more they're more fun. Like yeah. they know they're a bit. They know they're a bit crap, and they know they're done super cheap. Yeah, and like Bride of the Monster. There are bits when they're walking through, you know, the stone basement and the walls are shaking because they're clearly just made of cardboard. Like, but but they're still as enjoyable on, on a different level. Mm. Um, yeah, well, and I just don't think they get the, the the respect they deserve. Well, it's like I, a lot of the Ed Wood stuff. I think bears relation to a lot of fifties sort of B movies. You know, I don't think that I don't think that he has the 
uh, he's not the only one. It's not like everyone else was making the fucking shine. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like there's there's Corman films that look equally as cheap. Yeah. Or you know, and there's certainly there's plenty of giant lizard films where the acting's as bad. Mm. So you know, it's not quite. I think it was just that thing that he was probably the first person to get that. It's a curious one because it's like to get a level of fame so that people would say about it. Yeah. And actually, I wonder if Ed would would Ed would be like Tommy Wiseau now. Do you know what I mean? Would yeah. would he be able to spin it and market himself? Because I mean, Tommy was only now playing for the room was deliberately a comedy, which is yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wonder if like Ed Wood would be doing. Do you know what I mean? I think it's one of those things where you'd be doing the convention circuit and stuff like that because it's like, and actually, there's a uh, there's a musician, Chili Gonzalez, and he has a song called The Worst MC. And the point of the song is not everyone can be the best, but technically anyone can be the worst. (laughs) So if you are the worst, that's an achievement. (laughs) Because anyone can be shit. If you're the shittest, (laughs) that's actually something. That's that's a matter of pride almost. Mm -hmm. And We're back to that one star review, aren't we? Fucking yeah, nailed it. Nailed there it. you go. Yeah. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> the worst podcast I've heard in my life. Yes. Christopher Nolan, eat your heart out. <laughs> I thought you were saying Christopher Nolan as in he was the person who put it up. I was like, he can fuck off because his ears don't work properly. <laughs> That's why he thought it was two cockneys talking down a microphone because he thought was perfectly legible and listenable. He didn't think it was ridiculous when Christian Bale said, and then we're in hockey pants. <laughs> like someone from like someone from a black metal band having a shit. <laughs> oh, right. I think we should wrap it up there. Um uh, yes, so for our next episode, uh, we are going to do something a bit different. Um, listener and friend of the show, Al, um, who we've been talking to on and off for the last couple of years, we know is a massive fan of Jaws, uh, mm. and we've been saying we need to go back and re-watch Jaws. Uh, we've also been saying we need to get Alex on. And we've been saying we need to get Al on as well, yeah. in general. Um, so this is the perfect opportunity. Uh, Lady Jennifer will obviously not be joining us. <laughs> of course, yeah. The very word shark makes her shit in her pants. So we will leave her on the sofa in the other room for our next episode. Uh, and I was, I was saying just before we started recording, I'm sure I'll say it again next week, because even though I'm not drinking, my memory is shot to bits. Um <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I've seen this since I was in double digits. I think I was under 10 years old last time I saw this film. So yeah. I I know it more from popular culture now than I do from mm. the actual film itself. Mm. So it'll be fun to revisit. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you'll be in for a treat. Yeah, I think Definitely. I love the sea. This is the thing. Like, I should <laughs> totally watch this film again. It's horror. It's about the sea. 
it just it yeah but it might put you off the seat it did it did for fucking millions of people <laughs> all across the globe it effectively fucked the tourist industry for about five years nice oh well that is, that is something worth achieving yeah there you go. no wonder florida's got all the problems it's got now it was all caused by this one movie yep Oh, well, fuck Florida. Right, so... Also, have you seen that there is a film called Corn Shark? No. Which is basically a cross between Children of the Corn and Jaws. <laughs> just just if you wanted to uh, spring it on Jennifer, you know. Just, like, <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, she, won't, she won't think there's a shark coming because it's all set in a cornfield. And then... Duh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't watched Ghost Shark. I saw the trailer for it and I was like, I need to watch this. That was a real thing, right? I've not made that up. I'm I don't Googling. think you've made that up. I'm fairly certain I watched the trailer. I'm, I'm pretty certain that I did make up Omen 4 Demon Shark. <laughs> I'm sure I would have brought it up when we did the Omen. So. Yeah, no, there it is. Ghost Shark. Yeah, came out 2013. TV movie. Mm. Fucking bang. Right. So I'm probably going to try and squeeze that in as well as yours for next week. We'll see how if I can actually get hold of a copy or if it's been all copies have been intentionally destroyed. I think if you if you've got the Sci-Fi Channel, it'll probably be on there at some point in the week, like every other fucking cheap shark film is. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we will see you all next week. We'll be back for Moss Eisley Happy Hour when we'll be covering uh, The Force Awakens. Empire, oh, oh, yes. Empire Strikes um, Back. Empire Return Strikes of the Jedi. Back. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I've already skipped ahead. I've, yeah. I've watched yeah. Star Wars now. I've done all this. We're watching a Star <laughs> Wars film. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the following week, uh, all things working well, we'll be back, uh, the three of us and Alex, to discuss Jaws. So thanks ever yeah. so much, and uh, good night. Excellent. Night good night. One star, you c- <laughs>